This week, Sir Lawrence Olivier as Zeus. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and together with my friends Chris and Eric, we're going to be talking about the 1981... Everybody thinks it's a Ray Harryhausen-directed movie. It's not, but it is definitely the last great Ray Harryhausen film. Uh, Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans from 1981, starring... Sir Lawrence Olivier as Zeus and Professor McGonagall as one of the the Greek goddesses and of course Harry Hamlin uh, as uh, Perseus and a whole bunch of stop-motion characters created by the late great stop-motion animator Ray Harryhausen. So I had actually never seen this film. It's yet another one of those Gen X touchstones that I just hadn't bothered with. So Chris and Eric will express their disdain and astonishment, I'm sure, once we get to that. You can check the show notes for the timestamps. And of course, we've always got a fresh helping of the fresh shit. Uh, It's our segment where we talk about new movies and music and games and whatever else we might be up to. Uh, So check out the timestamps to find the parts you like. And as always, uh, we're trying to grow the show, so share it on social media feeds. Uh, Rate it on iTunes subscribe to the podcast and if you want to reach out to us with show ideas or other commentary uh hit us up on twitter we are at maghuge m-a-g-h-u-g-e or for all the other ways to reach us go to our website maghuge.com and there you can find links to our twitter our facebook our instagram or the way to email us magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com okay i think you know what time it is it's time to release the kraken Hey y'all, what's hey, up? Hey buddy. Hey. <laughs> no, you go. No, you you go. No, you, I'm you Eric. Go. Hi, hey Eric. Eric, I'm Brian. Hi Brian. Uh, Who are you? I guess that makes me Chris. Okay. Yes. Cool. It does, and this is the magnificently huge podcast where we talk about movies and stuff. Yeah. Pop emphasis culture. on the stuff. Yeah, the stuff. Pop culture, but like pop, like you know, your dad. <laughs> yeah, pop culture. Yes, yeah. great. Just, just yeah, we're just selling it really just, hard. Just what we need <laughs> is dad jokes to sell the crap. That's awesome. Good job. Oh, I didn't <laughs> think of that. It's uh, a dad joke inside of a dad joke. That's very. It's very meta. Yeah, wrapped in an enigma, surrounded yeah. in mystery. Yeah. Good lord. So if you've got a burning hankering to know with a bunch of middle-aged cis white dudes think about the latest movies and stuff, check out this segment starting now called The Fresh Shit. This shit is fresh. Well done. Hey, 90 yeah. seconds a little, in. got fresh shit. Yeah, a little misleading, but otherwise it was okay. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're the only one that watches anything new ever. 
around here, Brian. I well, did. I suppose that. Okay, what do you got, Eric? Eric, what something new, Chris? He's better than you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's well, yeah. Duh. I well, this okay. This week <laughs> I watched the uh, Netflix new shit this week double feature of the Sparks Brothers. Did anybody catch that? I saw that one a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched oh. it. Yeah, it's it's great. I. I, I, it's funny, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, Sparks is that band that's always been on the periphery of my conscious. I wish they had made it. And I'm watching this, I'm going, wait, they did several times. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. You know, they, they, they kept coming back. They kept having like these songs that are so awesome and this weird trajectory. And now I understand why their sound changed with every you know couple of albums. They kept well, changing like, it bands. was a couple of decades <laughs> later. Well, that too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is um, uh, is Edgar Wright like a like a super fanboy weirdo? Uh, yes. I think yeah. that we covered that when you watched it, Brian. So it just seemed like it was a very effusive, slavery uh, kind of a thing. About I, I, think it, I think it. I think it was. Th- no. Yeah. I mean, it's the, like the sparks themselves are self-deprecating, though, so th- that's tempered. Yeah, it's very funny. I mean, they, they, they work a lot of funny into it that you don't normally see in a documentary. I mean, um, and, and funny that actually works. But I would say he's a bit of a fanboy because, you know, the talking heads that appear in, a, in an interview to say, well, the thing about Sparks is they were very blah, 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 those people. Edgar writes yeah. one of them, which I was like, wait a minute, you're making the fucking movie. We, we, you don't get to, you <laughs> yeah, don't get but to he, sit in that chair. He can chair. insert himself. Sir, sure he can. Who's to say that you can't make a movie about your favorite band and then not be in that movie about your favorite band? Well, I mean, I guess he can physically because he did, but you know, it was weird. Um, <laughs> the the thing about it though is that Edgar Wright is is specifically a British Sparks fanboy, which means that the period of Sparks that I think the three of us were most into back in the day, which was sort of starts with Womp That Sucker and goes through maybe in outer space that sort of when Bates Motel was their backing band. Yeah. Like that wasn't big in Europe at all. So Edgar Wright is like number one song in heaven is awesome and then some stuff and then ooh gratuitous sax and, <laughs> and senseless violins and when do I get to sing my way is the biggest thing ever. It's like dude, you just skipped over like all of my favorite part of the Sparks catalog. <laughs> so they basically just ignored most of the 80s is what you're telling. No, they, I mean, they go there. all the way back to the beginning. Uh, and, and they're another, um, yeah, uh, uh, bu- 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 they were a glam rock band for a while mm-hmm. in England. I mean, that's, yeah, it's amazing. And it's not amazing because, uh, you know, R- R- Russ Mayle looked very glam. Um, oh, <laughs> that's right. At one point they're on, uh, uh, old gray whistle test, the sort of American bandstand of Britain at the time. And they were saying there's an apocryphal story that John Lennon called Ringo Starr and said, Hey, I'm watching TV. Um, Mark Bolin is singing with Hitler, who's playing piano or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's not that far off of this, you know? Yeah. He's not that far off. And like, no, but. Yeah, everybody in Britain was like into Sparks. They were a big deal, big deal. And like, this, I had this, no this amazing idea. clip. Of, of a live performance of Amateur Hour, um, which which is just nuts because the stage is just getting bum-rushed by teenage girls and the roadies are yes. constantly trying to, like, pull them <laughs> off of of Russ Mail. Um, <laughs> it's so it's weird. Like, 
God. For, yeah, what? It's just so weird because it's a band that literally no one has ever heard of unless they're really into music. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just that weird yeah. standard bearer for just full-on indie, art, rock, whatever. And it's like instant credibility if you tell someone, hey, I dig Sparks. And they're like, oh. But if they don't go, oh, then you know you're dealing with someone who yeah. hasn't ever really they dealt. Didn't, do you know what I mean? They didn't have radio hits like Bowie, but they were like yeah. basically you know, as prolific and, you know, a bit more successful with what they were trying to do. Uh, yeah. I would, yeah, I would say, yeah, watch this documentary in particular. You'll love this segment. Cause God, I did. They, they decide like this is a couple of years ago. They did this in, in England. They performed one oh, night after this. the other, every one of their albums, yeah, like in tough. order live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's 27 that's albums. And the guy was saying it was, you know, brutal because it's like, okay, we'd spend a week or two practicing an album, getting it down, getting, okay, that's, I think we're good there. And then they move on to the next album. And by the end of that, they're like, I don't think I remember what we did for the first one. Yeah, <laughs> so they like got hundreds of songs yeah. that they've got to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's it's great. Also, uh, if you've subscribed to the podcast or if you go to maghuge.com, you can find we did a whole episode, Know This Band for Sparks, where we, we talk about their history. Definitely check that out. I think we can go pretty deep there. Yeah. Um, and that was and that was all brought about from uh when they were doing the deal with uh what's his face? Oh god damn it. Marauder. I think we we got all we all got on like a weird marauder kick at the same time. And then it sort of just evolved from there. <laughs> oh, they explain how that happened, too. That's really funny. Uh, apparently, they were talking with a reporter, and they were very, like, not knowing what they were going to do next. They were kind of spinning out. And the reporter was like, so what are you doing next? And they lied. And they said, oh, we're working on a project with Giorgio Moroder. And the reporter's like, oh, really? He didn't tell me about that. We're friends. And they were like, oh, oh <laughs> sh- shit. But they, they end up fessing <laughs> up, and the reporter's yeah. like, well, let me, let me connect you two. And so they end up, you know, working together because they tried to bullshit a reporter. Yeah. I still, the number one song in heaven is still one of my favorites. I just, it, I dig it. Because it's a totally different sound than any of their other totally different sounds. Mm. But it just works for me. I don't know why. Yeah. My favorite is still Ants in My Pants. When I hear that, I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> do you have angst so, in your pants eric do you yes Always. well crabs <laughs> yeah you're gonna take so a Chris, walk off a pier sorry you're gonna get wet eric uh what what was your other you said it was a double feature yeah uh they had a, a second thing come out this weekend and um my memory's so bad i can't go there so somebody else go okay chris <laughs> what do you got <laughs> Uh, I finally finished the third season of Sex Education on Netflix, and I gotta tell you, I still love the show. It is so good. Have you, either of you watched it? I saw, like, the first two episodes, and I never quite, like, got, it's, it never got its hooks into me. Like, of the actual first season? First two episodes? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta give it a little time to kind of, uh, brew a little bit. Because it's all set up the first two or three, and then they start exploring all of the various uh, relationships among all the kids, and then the adults, and the adults don't know what the fuck they're doing, the kids just obviously don't know what the fuck they're doing, and it's just a bunch of flailing about, but it's one of the the only shows 
out there that gets what it's like to be an awkward teenager. I mean, it's to a T. And they just they do it so well, but they don't just do like the pigeonhole, this stock character here, this stock character here. They're all like very individualized characters, which is just astonishing to me that they pulled something like that off. And, uh, you know, they're assholes to each other, but then they're friends and they make up and then things get complicated. And it's just this like weird uh, intermingling of the student body at this school. But it's just it's phenomenal but they just get all the awkwardness they get all of the uh just everything is an open wound because you're just going through puberty it's just so amazing to watch uh but it's pitch perfect and i love it and i would highly recommend you you continue on because they they do a lot of interesting things with uh the inner lives of teenagers albeit in I, I am a fan of the sort of yeah honest portrayal of like shitty teenage life um <laughs> there was there was a thing where and it's i mean season one was a couple of years ago when i when i watched those episodes and okay so let's see if i remember this right right like the jillian what's her name from the x-files is the mom mm-hmm. right yeah. and and they were setting it up for her to have a relationship with one of the teenagers and i'm just like no, no i don't no. want to go there that's yeah, that's not right. That's I don't know okay. where you saw that. Why do that I remember t- it that way? That's totally I, maybe correct. I forgot. Yeah, the basic just show is that, I'm confusing it with. The Jillian Anderson is a a sex therapist basically, and she's got right her son Otis, uh, played by Asa Butterworth Butterfield. I can't remember his name now. Um, and so, <laughs> and his dad is gone, like another therapist, but he's gone. Their divorce, whatever, and. He, I guess, through the course of his adolescence, sort of just picked up some of the tricks of the trade. And so he is really good at helping people with problems and talking through them, etc. And so he meets up with a girl at school who's a little underprivileged. She's basically emancipated, but she's living in a trailer. Doesn't have a lot of money, so they decide to set up a a clinic to help their student body with their sex problems or whatever and charge money for it. And that's sort of the hook, but then the whole thing just sort of blows out from there. And then you get all of the, he likes her and she likes him and they like somebody else. And it's like all of just the, the goofy life cycle of a teen romance. And they just, they do it so pitch perfect because it's like you, when you're in it, you think everything is just so enormous and immense and oh, I can't live. And then, you know, 20 years later, you look back at it going, man, I was a fucking idiot. That's exactly the lens that they're looking at. They're, they're able to step back and go, yeah, this is exactly what it's like, but at the time it's going on, you don't realize that you're a fucking idiot. And it's yeah. they really roll with it. And it's so, so good. And they 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 walk the tightrope so well. Uh, and every season has got a different little hooky hook thing to it to kind of explore the character's growth. Uh, and it, they, they did a, a very good job with it. So it's not like uncomfortable uncomfortable like pen 15 which is about middle schoolers around the year yeah, 2000 that that that's, one was that's cringy hard. that's cringy cringy <laughs> yeah. uh and sex education does get a little cringy from time to time uh it's like it's like in the movies when when something would happen and you'd like watch one with eric and he'd like go no no like like the time i watched <laughs> swingers with him he like covers his face and just goes no no don't like it's actually going to change the <laughs> my, events my wife on screen. like my wife says she loves watching movies like that with me just to watch me. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's, it's like true. It's curl, good. Up, it's curl good. up into the most a entertaining turtle shell. Way to watch. <laughs> yeah, cringy yeah. stuff is to to watch it with Eric because yeah, yeah he cringes so, for you. So it's yeah. uh, there's there's moments like that, but it's also a very honest exploration of just you know figuring out your your identity. And so they you know they have trans kids, gay kids, straight kids, confused kids, and they're all sort of just trying to figure out what they're trying to be. And so they they break a lot of interesting ground for that. So I applaud them. So it's fairly no holds barred. Uh, also very good soundtrack work uh, throughout. And so that's a good hook for you there, Brian. Um, but yeah, sex education. Netflix. Ask for it by name. Or just wait for it to wash over you in the giant tide of disposable shit that Netflix shoves in front. Anyway, yes, okay. Um, There will always be something else next. Right? (laughs) So I've got got a movie. Uh, Went out and saw the new Wes Anderson film, uh, The French Dispatch. Ooh, I I still want to see that that tonight. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, again, I won't be seeing it in the theater, so i got to wait for it. So, very, very Wes Anderson, this movie, right? Like, at this point, he's, you know... You gotta, you gotta think about this, right? Like, so here's a guy who clearly, you know, like, even my wife is like, this guy is in love with every shot in this movie, right? Like, every shot is so very specifically composed and the you know the motions of the actors and everything is just i mean there's a reason why i think he makes good animated films too like fantastic mr fox or isle of dogs right like he's just he's just very very specific um and yet his his little repertory company just keeps growing and they keep coming back some of the most (laughs) like annoying actors on earth like edward norton you know, want to be in all of his films. So it's like, okay, he's got to be doing something right because everybody wants to, like, help him achieve his his very specific vision, no matter what. And this movie stars fucking everyone. Uh- <laughs> it's so weird, too, because this came out the same day as Dune, both starring Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. And it's like, that guy's having a good year. <laughs> good for him. He, well, he's having Dune a good one year. Was all- the Dune one was on the shelf for so long, It's it just worked out weird. Yeah. Well, both of these were. This was supposed to open last year as well. Oh. Um, yeah, Leah Sadu is in this too, so she's having a good uh, box office fall with the Bond movie in this. Yeah. Um I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil it, especially if you're going to go see it later tonight, Eric. Um, but yeah, it's it's an anthology, really, and uh-huh. it is. It is a lot of fun. There are, there are three major uh, sections. The first one is Benicio del Toro and Leah Sadu. Just just and and I props to Adrian Brody. It's it's those three just playing really well off each other. But but it is stolen out from under all of them by Tilda Swinton, who is giving this lecture at a museum about the history of this tortured artist played by Benicio del Toro, and. I was raised by college professors. And so there's just this very sort of it, it nails the 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 academia vibe. I don't know how else to say it. Tilda Swinton's lecture is just amazing. <laughs> she's, um she's funny in anything where they allow her to be. 
And uh, her role in the Grand Budapest Hotel, oh, good God, because they put her in all that old lady makeup, and it's like, I didn't even know it was Tilda Swinton at first glance. And mm-hmm. she just sells it so well. So <laughs> I'm glad it gives her a little more room in this one. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, and no. it, her, her turn in Snowpiercer, which I still call Snowpecker because that's the way it looks when you read it. Uh, I, I swear, <laughs> she's... She's the one who's going to take over all the John Hurt parts. They'll just make them female and cast her. That would be awesome. She just does that kind of (laughs) creepy weird so well. I love her so much. I can't even express. That's like my big celebrity crush, honestly, right now. Which makes me so weird. After all of that, and despite the fact that Willem Dafoe, who was probably on set for all of an hour and just steals the frame (laughs) for every time he's on screen, but... The whole movie is just chock-a-block full of some of the best actors working, and the show is completely stolen by Jeffrey Wright, who narrates the third uh, major chunk of the movie. And he is, he is uh, his character, the, the, uh, the gag is that he has what he calls a typographic memory. He can remember perfectly anything that was written down. And he's being tested on some talk show. And so he's reciting his own article that was published in the French Dispatch. And the thing is that he essentially gives a 20-minute long monologue in which every single word was tortured to death by somebody with a thesaurus, just trying to make it the most intricate, pretentious possible version of every sentence, and he just spits this shit out for 20 straight minutes. <laughs> oh, God. It's amazing. Nice. It, uh, I could see how this would have been the Morgan Freeman role, you know, 20 years ago, but Jeffrey Wright just just kills it. Um, so do they do all of the standard quirky Wes Anderson stuff though? Like you get the slow motion cuts with the, like the sixties rock music, that kind of stuff. Do they still do um, those? Not as much of that. I mean, there's an awful lot of the tracking shot that goes between rooms. Um, he has some fun with aspect ratio and color. So like if it's in color, it's in the quote unquote present. If it's, if it's in black and white, it's somebody remembering something. Okay. There's, I think only one widescreen shot in the whole movie and it's a color shot and it's done to great effect. Uh, so he's really just, I mean, boy, like I said, all the blocking, everything is so specific in this thing. It's, it's, it, it, he knew what movie he wanted to make. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, no, he, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's so he's so weird because there are very few actual auteurs left in the field right now. I mean, you could you could literally count them off on your your one hand, and he's probably one of the tops working right now. So it's uh, you know it's I, interesting that you know he's carved I such like a career. The, what I like the most about his films is that. Okay, he's kind of the new Woody Allen in that he's you know very yeah. uh, um, you know he, he's he's always got something he's always working he everybody wants to work with him very prolific, uh, but Woody Allen you could see that he you know had very deep influences with Bergman and Fellini and you know he's he's basically writing love letters to you know the ones the people he's fans of, right? But he uh, Wes Anderson it basically. He's he's making films like the way we thought films were when we were five or six. 
You know, it's like <laughs> everything <laughs> yeah. felt important, even though we weren't entirely sure what was going on. There was like a reason for style, but we hadn't been told what it was yet. Right. And I think it's fascinating that he can do that constantly and it's always fresh. Well, what I like is I'd read something recently about French Dispatch and they were trying to sort of, as a lot of people are want to do with him, go over his entire oeuvre and kind of make a certain linear sense of it. And I think the mm-hmm. best way to describe a Wes Anderson movie is I say he makes very pretty, very happy movies about the most severe loss ever. Yeah. And like <laughs> literally like every character has lost something very major <laughs> in his movies. And it's be it a family member or a dream or whatever. And they're just devastated by it. And it's all about them trying to overcome this. And it's like yeah, I I went all the way back to Rushmore. I'm like, yeah, that's literally the arc for most of the main characters across all of his movies. It's so weird, yeah. but he makes them so fun and peppy that you kind of don't even notice. So I, I makes- think he he he's well served by this format for this one because by making an anthology, he doesn't have to sustain any one storyline for the whole film, uh, which which he's obviously perfectly capable of doing. But this allows him to be a little more focused. Right. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, that whole uh, idea, you know, uh, uh, know, of the through line of his films, it makes a lot of sense now when I consider that I've always thought that all of the adults in a Wes Anderson film act like children and all the children act like Mm -hmm. adults. And in Moonrise Kingdom, (laughs) you can really see that with the Boy Scouts who are all definitely grownups in a war film. It's like, yeah, when, when faced with, you know, Something like that, adults retreat and kids have no choice but to grow up faster. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's true. Makes sense. Most of, most of Wes Anderson's like long-term players actually kind of have bit parts. They like work with Bill Murray at the actual Friends Dispatch. And so like Jason Schwartzman barely has any lines. Um, you know, uh, Owen Wilson... Uh, you know, he's, he's there, but, but not for very, you know, like they, they all have kind of smaller parts. There's one dude though. I'm not even sure he has any lines. He's one of the authors for the French dispatch. And, and he, the deal is that he's like never finishes anything. And he's, he's just got this absolute air of the, he's exactly the pompous, like arrogant, you know, collegiate egghead guy in the hallway who's full of himself and he's he's like just hanging around this office in the background of all the shots looking smug and maybe munching a carrot or reading something he never does anything and he's amazing <laughs> anyway <laughs> excellent i mean yeah yeah okay is Good. it is it the best west anderson film no i i you know, there are better ones what, uh, moonrise what is your kingdom f- is better what is, is that your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Um, is it my? It might be. It might really? be. I liked. I liked the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, yeah, I, I I liked. Uh, the French Dispatch is good. I really liked Isle of Dogs. Um, and of course Rushmore. I've been I've been less enamored with like Royal Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic, which I know everybody else thinks are amazing, and I'm just I'm like it's, fine yeah. with them. Well, he's like uh, like Jim Jarmusch. It's sort of like sometimes you watch his flicks and it's just eh, but then you watch <laughs> them again 
and suddenly something clicks. Like I hated Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou uh, when it came out, but over time, as I've seen it a couple more times, uh, it actually grows on me, and it's actually a much better movie. So I don't know if it's just the stage of life that I watched it in or what the deal is, but that's sort of his yeah. deal. I think if if you give one of his movies enough time to germinate, then it actually will blossom for you. That's sort of that's a movie where power. if you don't get his loss, you know, like you said, they're all about dealing with loss. If you don't get that, yeah, it seems like a very facile comedy. But once you know yeah. that, it does click into place. Yeah, and it's just fun to look at. But I still Bottle Rocket for me will still be the number one because it's. I just remember watching that thing and just being floored. Like I had no idea what to expect, and then I think I watched it like three times in one day when it came out. I was so amazed by it. So it's yeah, good time. Uh, All right, shall shall we get on with the show? Well, one last uh, one because I remembered the other oh, one. You got it? Okay, what is yeah. it? What is it? Army of Thieves, which is oh the second installment <laughs> in the cinematic universe of the Army of the Dead. Uh, where Christ, we that follow... already came out. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it's oh, a this Netflix is the exclusive. Yeah, it's Good it's God. it's you know a Netflix film. It goes into the backstory of the safecracker Ludwig. Um, uh, it's I don't know. It's 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 a trifle. It's a fun watch. I I think what I like about it is it's a heist film where the heists completely don't matter. I mean. they're basically making fun of heist films right Uh, but not as well as rick and morty did but (laughs) you son of a bitch i'm in yeah Yeah. they're and and um matthias uh schweigefer is the name of the actor who played the safe cracker well he also directed this which you know is oh really yeah um he's big in germany i didn't realize he was this big uh but it's yes very well done there's a there is a chase between the police in cars and him on a bicycle, but because of the way streets work in uh, Switzerland, he gets away. It's it's really fun to watch. <laughs> okay, is it worth it? Say, though? Would you recommend? Yeah, I would. I I would okay. say it, once you have cleared out the other things you really really want to watch on netflix this is a good first thing to watch <laughs> once oh, you've God. watched everything else on netflix why right. Oh, <laughs> right if you Speaking see of- one film this year see dune but if you see two films this year see army yeah. of thieves <laughs> just make sure you have a netflix subscription because i'm not yeah. giving you my password yeah. nine <laughs> that's what i got okay. I didn't even know right. that was out. Okay, interesting. All right, it's time to release the Kraken! <laughs> release the crack whore! Release the crackhead! Yeah, my wife and I all last night, That's what we kept doing that. Release the crackhead! <laughs> so, so, yeah, Brian. Clash ex- of ex- the Titans. Explain this to me. How did you go 40 years without seeing this movie? That is impressive. I just. I, okay, and, and understand the way that this movie was pitched to me in 1981 should have gotten my butt in a seat, right? right? I'm like in. F- it's the summer between like fourth and fifth grade, and I'm riding my bikes around the neighborhood. 
you know, and and, and all the kids in the neighborhood are like, okay, yeah, it's like a fantasy, you know, epic and all of that. And dude, you get to see a boob. And it's only PG. Yeah, like twice you and, get to see a boob. Yeah, and and that somehow did not get me to go. Um, I don't know. I think. Well, here's maybe here's I was I just think. too enamored with the Star Wars thing at the time, and I saw this as a little retrograde, or maybe well, I just wasn't here, digging. I I really can't explain why I didn't see it. Just never got around to it. This is my hypothesis, uh, because Clash of the Titans was released the very same day as Raiders of the Lost Ark, so. If that, you're a kid of a certain oh, age, wow. that may not have been your first choice that weekend, Clash of the Titans. So I, that's fair. Well, as a kid, I didn't get to make any choices. I was informed, yeah. you know, what movie right. we were going to see. So exactly. And I Clash think the, the only Titans, reason I may have yeah. seen this is my my parents were bored that weekend or something. Probably. Let's take the but kids. Yeah, this to- is- I also didn't have HBO as a kid. Like we didn't have cable. So it wasn't just sitting there like being broadcast for, throughout the entirety of the 80s for me. I don't think uh, I yeah, ever watched it on it. TV though. I only saw it in the theater. Really? Mm. I just I watched the shit out of it anytime it came on up until about the age of like 14. Like it mm. was just it was my jam. Uh but yeah, it's it's I mean, it came in like the 11th highest grossing movie of the year, which is astonishing to me. Uh, but it also came out uh, amid, you know, Raiders of Lost Ark and Time Bandits and such. So uh, I am I'm honestly surprised that I made a, an effort to go out and see it at the age of 10 uh, because of all that other stuff. So it's, it's I, a weird... I have to assume... You know, and part of this might have been just my extracurricular activities at the time. You know, I was I was a busy kid doing other stuff because I, I around the same vintage, you know, I hadn't seen Time Bandits until many years later. And right. I hadn't I still to this date, you're going to hate me. Haven't seen Excalibur. Oh, good God. Um, yeah, that's so, a that's a blind spot, sir. That is that yeah, needs rectified. So something some point. happened in 1981 where I just didn't get to see a lot of movies. I think is what I'm talking about. That makes sense because oh, yeah. when I was 10 yeah, years yeah. old, I was such a slacker. I was not up to anything. I was just such yeah. a lazy, not doing nothing <laughs> same, kid. Same. Yeah. I'm with you. Buddy. And Eric and I were friends, so maybe that's what I was doing—was <laughs> hanging out with Eric. I don't know. I saw them all. Ah, so okay, so going into Clash of the Titans 40 years late. Uh, you obviously mm-hmm. knew of it. I'm sure you had seen uh, scenes, etc. Oh, correct? absolutely, absolutely. So, so you had an idea of what you were going into, did you not? Absolutely, yes. Okay, I, I definitely did. Uh, did you know, the of movie... course everybody's seen the Medusa scene? Yeah, right. Like somehow you've seen that. Even if did you the, movie the movie live up to your expectation? That is what I wanted. In yes, think about it. That's awesome. <laughs> it needs to be edited. It is yeah. the pacing is slow even for 1981, right? It is more of a 70s pace. This is oh, this is a even. throwback movie. Yeah, this is like a 50s sci-fi movie made in 1981, right? Like that's that's what we're dealing with here. Well, I mean, it's Harryhausen. Eric can probably attest exactly. to this. I yeah, mean, it's, it's the uh, last great one he did. Yeah. Yeah, and he was very hands-on for most of his movies, like him and the producer, Howard Schneer, whatever his name is, like they would get the funding and then uh, they would hire a director, but with the understanding that Harryhausen would be very hands-on with the overall look of the picture. And so it looks like a Harryhausen movie, 
but the problem is it's 1980, so it's after Star Wars and Alien and all of it's that stuff. It's after Empire Strikes Back, yeah. for crying out loud. It's like after right? all like, of the, the big stuff, and they're still doing, you know, the Dynamation, Claymation thing, uh, and it just yeah. looks really stilted. But but it's also, you know, it's also Greek legend, so it it, it kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I Watching it again, uh, I, I thought, yeah, it looks cheap, but, you know, I have that enjoyment from childhood of watching it, yeah. right? Well, yeah. Oh, now I, think, I look. Yeah, I think now this I look is great at it for kids. Yeah, but now I look at it and I think in its element it works somehow. Just because there hasn't been a lot of uh, entertainment film in Greek mythology, save for the whole right. Clash of the Titans and its redo. But mm-hmm. yeah, for the time, it's like okay, I could take that claymation style and I could limit it in my head to this and um, uh, uh, Sinbad. You know, and all of those. Yeah. If you tried to do like a version of Star Wars with like claymation stormtroopers, yeah, I would totally laugh my balls off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this I, one... I, and and some of it's more successful than others. Like the Pegasus is is pretty good. the The Vulture is decent. You know, they get a lot of play out of those real feathers. Um, the Kraken itself like sucks. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, There's just it's, no two ways around it. Yeah, it's so weird. A little sidebar too. Did you know this? Uh, the Kraken in mythology is not actually Greek at all. They they lifted that hole from uh, Norse mythology. So there's no actual Kraken <laughs> in Greek mythology. So when you know that, you're like, okay, all bets are off. They're pretty much just doing whatever they. That makes sense. It's, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, it starts off and you get a pretty good sense of, of where the corners are being cut right from the top, right? Like, so we start off and it's it's all of these great helicopter shots over all this landscape and we're tracking the flight <laughs> of a seagull, right? And just like, yeah. oh, look, seagull. And then it's like over the mountains, oh, seagull. And then it's like over the snow, seagull. <laughs> yeah, but this, is, but this is the deal. The way that they set it up, it's almost like, you know when you're on like a Zoom call and you do... Uh, a different background, but if you move, yeah, like parts yeah. of you disappear. That's what that bird looks like during the opening credits, and it's yeah, so the chroma keying is is really <laughs> just barely, you know, the, barely putting the effort in. It's it's like it's more like what they would do, like on the prices right back in the seventies, right, where it's yeah. just kind of live composite, <laughs> exactly, and and uh, you know, it's similarly like when Poseidon. Uh, releases the Kraken and he's underwater. Yeah, like, so unnecessary. He is so poorly settled into that frame. You know, yeah. there's, there's some really bad compositing <laughs> in this movie. Which, but, but, you know, that's part and parcel with the Harryhausen motif, though, because you can look at any of his movies and there are some really glorious set pieces and then some other stuff where it's like maybe they should have spent some more time. That's sort of the, the Clash of the Titans because he was doing all the stuff, but he was also, you know, an old man by then he was pushing into his 60s he was tired yeah. uh and he was doing all of that stuff on his own but this was the first movie where he actually hired a couple other people to come in and help out so like if you look at like any of the sinbad movies or jason the argonauts or whatever that's literally all harryhausen and wow. nobody else and so when they're doing those claymation fights it's usually harryhausen with a stick swinging it at yeah. the actors like as <laughs> the person that they're going to put the clay model over yeah, so it's uh it's fun, but it just yeah the way they put it together is just sort of it's very old school. This is definitely the end of an entire era of uh, special effecting. 
This and, is the final nail in the coffin of stop yeah. motion <laughs> until, well, I guess until Nightmare Before Christmas comes yeah. along. But uh, it's just, sometimes it's, just, it's a little jarring to watch because you're not prepared. Like last night we were watching it in my, when Calibos is on and he's talking to Andromeda in the swamp thing. It's like you do the close-ups and it's the actor in the makeup, but then you pull away and it's obviously the claymation thing. And my wife's like, mm-hmm. why is he changing? Why is he doing back and forth? Why is he a puppet? You know, it's like, just shut up. <laughs> yeah. No, no it's this funny is definitely that this, for kids. This went away because of the success of all the like ILM model work. And now of course yes. all that model work is going away because of CGI. Yeah. Which it's, is a shame. Because yeah, the practical stuff yeah. is always better. Well, and I, yeah, actually, I think the- if you look at a lot of special features, you're <laughs> going to find that a lot of things that you think are CGI are actually model work. But because you're expecting it to be CGI, you just assume it is. But not at this point, a lot of thing is still done with with miniatures. Well, I th- just think that a lot of the model work somehow looks better because when it's analog, your y- y- reality is taking care of so many of the fine details that you take in. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and with digital, you literally have to think of every specific thing. And that's why that opening shot of the Star Destroyer in Star Wars looks so jarring. And why that opening shot of all of those Star Destroyer-sized ships in the third, uh, what was the, 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 the Revenge of the, the Sith? The Rise of Skywalker or whatever? The last, or, or, the oh, Revenge of the Sith, three. yes, three, yeah. yeah. It's like this huge, massive shot of all these ships, and it's nowhere near as Im- as impacting because it all looks just sort of kind of fake. Because it is <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Well, yeah, that's the other thing you're watching stuff like this because because I went back and uh, looked over a couple other Harryhausens just for context, and it's there. You can tell that they're effects, but at the same time, you don't care. I cut these movies a lot of slack because they're just obviously crafted. But when you get the CGI yeah. stuff, like even the, the remake Clash of the Titans, I mean, it looks good. It's slick. But at the same time, you're like, well, that's still just a fake thing. And I can tell it's fake, but somehow it's just glossier. So people guess don't care as much now. Like a person's going to watch the Clash of the Titans reboot and they're not going to sit there going, that's so fake. Ooh, this sucks. Yeah. Whereas they'll watch the first Clash of the Titans and they'll probably say that right off the bat because it's a claymation monster thing yeah it's like I mean, that's a disconnect it's so it's so not close it, okay so we're t- what we're really talking about to some degree here is the uncanny valley right and the closer you get to photorealism like the more wrong it feels like <laughs> this stuff is so far off from what perfection would be that you cut it a lot of slack it's like okay i in. get what you're doing yeah, yeah you buy a job it. with your technique um, well, I don't know if you buy it. It's I, this stuff has not aged well, right? Like it hasn't. But it's well, but it's, like if you're still watching after ten, watch. if you're still watching after ten minutes, the uh, the effects themselves are not going to pull you out anymore. It's like now no. you're, you're yeah. into the universe. It's it's almost like if if this kind of magical shit was going on around me, I'm not entirely sure I know what that would look like either. Maybe it <laughs> exactly. looks like this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's I'll, I'll the- tell you what pulls me out of it, though. I, in all seriousness, is Harry Hamlin as Perseus, He's our so protagonist, stiff. so sucks. Stiff. Oh I, man. I just I, I, his one facial expression is, "I'm dumb." 
and I don't know what I'm looking at. Like that's that's pretty much all he does to the home. He's just like duh duh duh, and I just well, I, oh my god. Well, you know, it's it's a sight better than what the fucking studio wanted to do. They were pushing Harryhausen and Schneer to cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as yeah. Perseus, and they said no. There's way too much dialogue. That is not happening. <laughs> and so it didn't. So I think we got saved there. But yeah, Hamlin is just, he's so stiff. He's so wooden. And it's its very, uh, very old school. That's the only way I can really explain it. Just everything about yeah. this movie is very much like, oh, we're still making it in 1956. It's cool. Don't worry yeah, about the, it. Yeah, the, the inciting event of the plot being that um, Andromeda has, you know, there's a curse on Andromeda that was cast by Professor McGonagall. Um, <laughs> and um, whatever. She's asleep in her room. And after seeing that people get burned to the stake for being her suitor, the first thing our dumbass hero does is he just breaks into her room and like starts touching her head yeah. and Talk instantly much, falls in love <laughs> yeah. with the comatose yeah. woman. It's 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 not even kind of creepy. It's, it's just it's, gross. Well, I mean, it's right? just standard Greek mythology bullshit. I mean, it's all very yeah. cockamamie. Because that's the other thing. I, watching this, I'm like, well, what is? But, what makes this any different than watching the Ten Commandments? Nothing. So you know. But Perseus is just the most entitled man in Greece. He's he like you know he meets up with Burgess Meredith and he's like, oh cool, here's a sword. I'm gonna take it. Uh, and then you know finds shit lying around which was sent to him by the gods sure but it's just like oh a sword i'm gonna take it a shield i'm gonna take it a helmet i'm gonna take it the last known pegasus i'm a i'm a capture it you know just everything is mine mine me yeah so i had a hard time relating to this asshole (laughs) what a demigod son of zeus come on yeah Yeah. i had a lot of time i could relate to zeus yeah (laughs) well it's just it's just weird because if you if you watch Jason of the Argonauts, which was done in like 1964-ish, uh, it's almost the same exact story. I mean, it's you've got not Jason this time, it's Perseus, but he's got to go get the magic goo so that he can save the day and win the princess or whatever. It's just, it, it, it's, that's just Greek mythology, one, two, three. And so it's just funny to mm-hmm. watch these where they start dissecting the text and not even really paying homage to it in a very specific way they're just sort of like grab bag we'll throw all this shit in because like a pegasus in the in the myths is actually born out of the blood of medusa but they had to change that up in order to make the story work to get him the pegasus so he could fly to get to medusa yada yada so they basically just uh like did a whole thing where Calabas, who's a totally made up character, not even in Greek mythology, is now this central figure and villain. And so it's just weird when you know Greek mythology even a little bit to start parsing it out. Just like, yeah, but so what? They're just stories. It's like it's not like anybody's gonna get really pissed off about it. You know what I mean? Except professors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this is <laughs> definitely not a text. Did it like do you think anybody ever showed this in a like a fifth grade class for Greek mythology? I think it would it's be got- a great YouTube video of like, you know, a uh, Greek mythology professor reaction, uh, Clash of the Titans, <laughs> and just this little yeah. corner box of them going, no, 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 uh-uh, no. Yeah, that sounds like a Portland sketch. the way Eric yeah. does when watching, you know, 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, cringy. Yeah, yeah. A, that is a t- that's a total Portlandia sketch right there. Burying <laughs> his face in his hands. Oh my god. Oh well, no. So none of this is no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just so you, weird too because you get Hamlin who's so stiff, but then they populate a bunch of very well established English actors. Some of them very Shakespearean, like Olivier. Yeah, uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier as, as Zeus. Zeus. And then they're only in the in, in the movie for like ten minutes. It's like they have a little powwow, they move some things around the magical chessboard of life, and then let things happen. And then like you don't see him again for another thirty minutes. I mean, it's like that's a paycheck yeah. movie for most of those people. And it's so <laughs> funny when you think about well, it. Like, that, like Claire that Bloom was actually said, one of the things. One of the, yeah, that yeah. She's like, I'm only gonna do it because Olivier's in it, and I only have to work for like a week. And yeah, I'm done. I mean, that's like <laughs> and Olivier was only in it because he needed money for cancer treatment. I mean, that yeah. period of his career, he does so many shit films, and it's so sad because you know why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but it's just so funny. He played MacArthur. He played MacArthur, what? the general. Nice. Yeah, nice. It's 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 so just heartbreaking. It's like, goddamn, they those people needed, you know. Health insurance. Well, I don't know. Well, but the other thing too is you got like Ursula Andress is like Aphrodite, but she, does she have one line of fucking dialogue no, in an entire doesn't. movie? It's like she's just there to just be Aphrodite, I guess. You well, don't hire uh, you don't hire Ursula Andress to talk. That's all <laughs> that's, I can say. I guess that's true. She was she was dating Harry Hanlon at the time. Yeah. Um. And they have a so, and they have a kid. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah, but but and yet Ursula Andress is not one of the two boobs you see in this movie. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just remember being a kid watching it, you know, 10, 11, whatever. And you get that like naked beach walk. That's only like right. five seconds, but you're like, you're like, Oh my God. I mean, you're not prepared for it. If you're 10, yeah. it's like, this is supposed to be about <laughs> gods. Naked people. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. And, and then Good like times. shortly thereafter, you know, they're, they're doing sort of the, the montage of Perseus growing up and there's a, there's like a, I don't know, maybe like a, 12, 13-year-old boy in a loincloth riding a horse, and the horse yeah. is boogieing, and I'm just going, ow, 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 yeah. ow. <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah, a lot of weirdness in it. It did actually make me think of Krull watching this, Brian, which made me think of you watching this for the first time, and I wondered if you had even thought of Krull while I, watching I, You know, I didn't. I still love Krull. Krull is so cheesy, but I... <laughs> There's so much of this movie in Krull. That's what's so funny, because it's That's, just... You're not wrong. <laughs> so it's just, it's a very weird time, the early 80s. I mean, a, as a what it is, right, which is an excuse to go to a matinee and watch monsters, right? So there's giant scorpions, and Calabos is this weird little demon creature, and you've got the vulture, and you've got um, the, the kraken, and the medusa, and... Oh, don't, don't forget Bubo. We almost and forgot Bubo, Bubo, the comic relief robot fucking owl. <sighs> yeah. Fucking I'm pretty sure Bubo yeah. is why I didn't go see this movie, because he was all over the marketing, and I'm like, yeah. oh no. We have well, an RGD2. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, is everybody pointing that out, and Harryhausen's like, no, I had that idea well before Star Wars. Like, sure you did, buddy. Sure you did. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like a robot that just talks and beeps and squirks. It's like, come on, man. Come on. And is clumsy. Don't forget yeah. that it's clumsy and it has big eyes and is cute. Yeah. But you yeah. know, it it retrieves Medusa's head from the sea, so I guess it earns its keep in this film. 
Maybe. Well, why but unlike, Bilbo just take Medusa's head and go take out the Kraken itself? <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, but unlike I'm the R2, hero now, yeah. unlike R two D two, it it speaks in a series of beeps and squawks. So yeah. it's got that differentiator. <laughs> well, thanks for setting me straight, Eric. I yeah. appreciate that. And they did make one choice that I just don't understand because, frankly, it would have been cooler and just less one? work for them. Um, well, this one would have been cooler and less and lazier at the same time, right? Yeah. Which is at the end of the movie, um, Perseus uses Medusa's head to turn the Kraken to stone, at which point it's like, awesome, full-scale Kraken statue. That's what I right? was hoping for, yeah. The first time I watched it, and, you're reading my 12-year-old mind or whatever. Yeah, and, and then it falls apart, and I'm like, well, that sucks. I wanted a full-scale Kraken statue in town. <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> I, I actually well, thought, you know what? I Maybe it's because of its size, it can't support its own weight, because the Medusa's head turns you to stone. It doesn't turn you to stone reinforced with rebar. You know, there's yeah. no reason anything of <laughs> that true. size and weight would stay up. Yeah, it's more like, uh, you know, plaster of Paris, maybe. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Mm. But it's just, but yeah, the, I mean, it, the thing had a decent budget for the time because they got the financing from MGM, who finally agreed to, to do it and then put up some cash. And I think it, it made, I don't know what, the, what that today would amount to like $100 million, which is just astonishing. But uh, it never got its sequel, which is strange in and of itself. But I think it's because Harry hasn't just hung it up because the reviews came in and they were mixed decidedly because it's, you know, you're either Mm -hmm. on board with this from the get go or you're just like, fuck this nonsense. And I think there was a lot more of that latter because while Siskel Mm -hmm. and Ebert liked it, I think I don't know who it was that went after him and basically just said that the effects looked cheap and old-fashioned and this and that and harry has just like i put my life blood into this and you're that's yeah. your takeaway mm-hmm. from this movie eat a dick and he just said i'm yeah. done i'm hanging up my spurs yeah well it's time had come and gone and so it was nice to have this as a last hurrah but but yeah it was definitely time to 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 go other directions which everybody else did right yeah. well it's you know, but it you should be appreciated this, that's that's what that's what yes. my verdict on this film would be. Yeah, yes, it's got its problems in both acting and story progression, but it, it, as 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 a testament to the oeuvre of Harryhausen, it's worth watching and remembering. Absolutely, it's, yeah, it absolutely, is, yeah, a pillar. Yeah, well, I mean that Medusa sequence is top notch. I will defend that to my dying day because it's it's obviously the set piece of the whole movie, even beyond the the Kraken. At the end. Oh, and you know what we're forgetting is they did, uh, you know, a remake with the best possible digital effects, and it's oh, nowhere near as engaging. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's terrible, and that one is sort of like even more a product of its time because it came out in 2010. So that's not even just a remake of Clash of the Titans. It's got like Gladiator. It's got 300 Harry Potter. You know, it's got Harry Potter. It's got all of this other shit. In there, and the most annoying thing is they cast Ray Fiennes as Hades as the bad guy, and he's basically just doing Voldemort from Goblet of Fire. I mean, that's all it is, and it's just like this is the laziest fucking. Thing. Oh, it's so ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you so. do you watched that? And there were scenes between him and uh, uh. Well, did you get like a total Schindler's List vibe? Wait a minute, that's that's oh, Harry hey. Schindler, and that's 
That's Nazi yeah. general guy. <laughs> yeah. It definitely adds a weird layer to the whole proceeding. Yeah. For sure. It's like, oh, good God. But uh, but the one thing about the remake that really irritates me is that they set up this whole quest. You get Medusa's head so you can kill the Kraken. But when they go to get Medusa's head, Io basically says that the way the curse works on Medusa is that women aren't allowed in. So she can't turn him to, you know, she doesn't turn women to stone or whatever. And then the djinn's there, and he's having the fight at the end with Medusa, and she can't turn him into stone. And then he, like, ha-ha, laughs it off and then explodes himself. So then you get the Medusa head, you go to do the Kraken, and then the Kraken turns to stone. I'm like, but wait, they just basically showed that if you're not a man, you don't get turned to stone by the Medusa head. So this whole thing is fucking nonsense. It just ruins the entire (laughs) ending for me. So well, maybe amazing. the Kraken had a penis. Maybe. I guess. I don't know. I mean, were, were he... they talking about gender, or were they talking about, you know, male human? Oh, oh fuck if I know. Like, I apparently, was paying that much attention. Yeah, apparently there's some loophole there, because, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I a, mean, it's Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, whatever. it's a story, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a real dragon wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just feel bad for Sam Worthington because that was when Avatar came out, this came out, uh, and Terminator Salvation came out. And he was poised to be like the next big thing. And none of those movies except Avatar really took off. Mm-hmm. And Avatar was like, everyone was like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? So his, This should be his like career. a whole series of direct-to-video movies starring Sam Worthington and Jai Seriously. Courtney. Seriously. Yeah. Worthington, <laughs> Courtney, oh. Nobody Cares, three, this time it's <laughs> yeah. personal. I would love to yeah. see them in a remake of Showdown in Little Tokyo or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, just mm, Clash of the Titans, so weird. I'm My only real regret for that movie is that uh, they couldn't get Bernard Herman to do the soundtrack because he did a whole bunch of those in the like the late fifties, early sixties for Harryhausen, and they're so good. I think he was he was already dead, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, which is too bad. That does make it hard to to yeah. schedule his time. Yes, I mean, although you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, I I still say that's why Scorsese did Cape Fear, just because there was already um, a Herman soundtrack laying around that he could reuse. Oh, mm. nice. <laughs> That's so Scorsese. That's yeah. so Scorsese. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Like, who, where did everybody go from the cast of this movie? Like, did anybody, like, have much after this? I mean, Olivier, obviously, no, because of the cancer. Yeah, Olivier, Burgess, Meredith, Ursula, Andress. This is, this is getting to the tail end of a lot of, a lot of yeah. people's career. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Maggie, Maggie Smith, Smith went on to do a whole lot of things, including being Professor McGonagall. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, that, I guess that's it. It's that's like the only, it. the only real player in the whole thing is Harry Hamlin. And uh, ugh. it's just, <laughs> I just didn't get it. Didn't he went on to do like all. miniseries and stuff, right? Like, I, and I don't L- know. LA, LA Law. That's what he ended up in. Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. That yeah. I don't he, know. Like, made his big. In in my head, he morphed into Mark Carmen, and they're the same person. So I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was originally cast for Back to School, FYI. When you were watching the final, when Burgess Meredith watching the final battle, I I wanted to hear him say, "Get him, Rock! He's a punk." <laughs> <laughs> no, we're watching it at home. This shows you uh, 
where my wife and I are because we love Grumpy Old Men. Like, we'll watch that anytime it's on. Oh, and God, so she yeah. just kept going, Mauner's son! <laughs> through the entire <laughs> thing with Burgess Meredith. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. Burgess That's Meredith is a treasure. He's just yeah. a treasure in everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, release the Kraken. Ugh. Yep. So, hey, it was a movie. You can watch it. It's on HBO uh, Max right now. Um, I, I can't think believe that the the modern ones are too. But I can't believe that you would you watch this before you watched Excalibur. That's just that's you know astonishing to me. Well, I he was hasn't under seen either. He doesn't know what quality. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't that's know true. what order that's to true. watch two films he has never seen. I, I went yeah. to HBO Max and I'm like, what are the older movies that were added recently? And I scrolled down until I found one that was interesting, and this was it. So that was how I picked the topic this week. <laughs> yeah. Can you I tell you though, the book by its cover. Yeah, don't see. I, God, I almost don't want you to see Excalibur until it like is shown in a theater somewhere. It's like, yeah, you hmm. watching it in your living room. It's 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 very dry, right? It's it it really is more so than you would think. And so I think watching it in your living room, you're going to go, this is kind of boring. But when you're watching it in a theater, it's, it's very, it's alarming how, how much yeah. you're pulled into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because suddenly in the theater on the big screen, it becomes that Renaissance painting and it's uh, like the, the screen compositions and such. It's a totally different feel from TV. Yeah. Hmm. Unlike Clash but- of the Titans, which will look the same no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess that's it for another episode of the show. Anybody got any last thoughts? Eric? Um, um, th- no, th- okay. So, those, no, those yeah, were it. Those were my thoughts. <laughs> right there. Um, um. Thanks for the, uh, the, the kind thoughts. <laughs> for the good thoughts, yeah. Um, <laughs> subscribe to the podcast, share it in your social media feeds. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. And go to MagHuge.com for links to our Facebook and our Instagram. And a way to email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Release the Kraken. Release the Kraken!